fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Habner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Wolf Pack, what's going on? It's your boy, the Wolf of Roto Street, RotoStreetJournal.com. We breed and feed you fantasy wolves here with the first time, and I am just beyond thrilled to have him on, Mr. John Daigle of NBC Sports Edge, formerly Roto World over there. You can find him at NotJDaigle. Uh, here, John Daigle covers the football and betting uh, he's also part of their Good Football Show podcast. He's also won an Emmy and FSWA award. My man, John, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing, brother? First time, but hopefully not the last time. It is no football cap. season now. I understand we'll have a month pretty much until everyone returns for training camp, but it already feels, especially since it's best ball season, like everyone is already tuned in and, and on their grind right now. Absolutely. It's like after a year where it was so up in the air and like you didn't know if we were going to get a season, it seems like everyone's just like, let's go, let's get on in, like digging in early. I love it. I love the uh, atmosphere as you're saying right now. And you're at a, a conference right now. Is that right? Uh, I was at FSGA last night, yeah, and uh, this morning. Everyone has already flown out, um, Mm. and it was good to see everyone. Met a lot of people that I hadn't actually met in person. For instance, like, let's say, Derek Brown of FTN um, and and so many others last night. So it was was a lot of good times. Uh, Also woke up a little late this morning because we had too many fun times. But (laughs) but overall, yeah, it was fun. Awesome, man. Glad to hear it. Well, we're going to be covering 2021 best ball today, specifically digging into John's tiered rankings. You can find over at NBC Sports Edge, uh, which are fantastic, by the way. I've been trying to read through them all. I mean, you go in so depth. Like, I can't wait to just dig into these more and more with you here. But everybody, make sure you go check that out. We'll talk about some overarching best ball strategy. Um, Before we dig on into that, I would love to ask anybody out there, if you're willing to give this a thumbs up, helps us get out to more people, support the pack, a free, easy way to do it. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So thank you for that. And before we get into the best ball again, huge trade, obviously. We're all well aware of that, but this is actually the first time I've podcasted since Julio Jones became a Titan. So if you're up for it, I'd love to dig on in uh, what you think is going to happen here and the impact for him, uh, the impact of the Titans. I mean, when you get a talent like Julio, the most receiving yards per game in NFL history as of right now, uh, that's causes some pretty seismic impacts wherever he goes. So you willing to hit Julio Jones's impact with me over here? What do you think of him landing in Tennessee? Julio, of course, was still a great player when healthy last year. Averaged 19 fantasy points per game, fourth most yards per route run among wideouts in those seven full contests that he was available to play. But now he basically cannibalizes A.J. Brown and Mm. caps A.J. Brown's ceiling, whereas we initially thought A.J. Brown could finish as a top three wide receiver, if not potentially the wide receiver one overall. Now Julio Jones is there to eat into those targets. And so I believe who it helps the most is Ryan Tannehill, who honestly people, myself included, were probably too down on to begin with he was going as the overall QB 15 across best ball formats no matter which site you play on so I bumped him up 
Uh, he stayed in the same tier, but I bumped him up as the overall QB 12 now. So basically a QB one because he still averaged the a top five amount and fantasy points per drop back since he took over under Arthur Smith as the Titans starter. And so to now get him and he was going, like I said, it's QB 15 around pick 120 overall. I think you have to leap a couple rounds now at his, as his ADP adjust yet again, but it's still possible to double stack him, whether it be with AJ Brown or Julio Jones, or honestly, I think Anthony Furcher is still in the mix. This may be getting a little too galaxy brain and it may actually only be for large field tournaments, but the discount you can now get on AJ Brown and Anthony Furcher, even though if Julio Jones is absent, we just go right back to their initial outlooks, right? And like, there's a reason why Julio Jones was a risk in trading him. There's a reason why the Falcons had to trade him. And it's because he still is an injury risk right now. He's going to be 32 years old. Again, was only healthy for seven games last year. And so to get A.J. Brown, who we know has top 12 upside anyways, right? Uh, ninth in fantasy points per game among wide receivers last year. But then if Julio goes down, you were looking into – Again, possibly the wide receiver one overall, but at a discount. And so I actually don't mind just taking that double stack discount away from Julio if need be. I love it. I absolutely love all of that. Uh, given that, as you said, he missed seven games, and I get that he played 14 in you know six seasons straight, but there's always that questionable nagging tag. And it's like, even if he played 14 games, some of those, it seemed like he was just kind of like a scarecrow decoy out there, wasn't fully healthy. So I, I'm with you. I'd much rather have A.J. Brown still. He did fall from my wide receiver five to my wide receiver nine. Uh, just because it is, as you said, he's going to cannibalize targets. When you have a talent like Julio, there's no doubt about it. Julio's been like right steady as my wide receiver, you know, 16, 17 in that range. I don't think this changes it too, too much. Uh, I am a little bit worried about the Titans outlook losing, as you mentioned, Arthur Smith, given how efficient they've been with him. Uh, Todd Downing just had a horrible year in his one year as coordinator. But I mean, obviously when you have Julio and AJ Brown, how can you screw that up? Like that is about as good as it gets. So yes, you know, Tannehill, he went from someone I was kind of fading given that, you know, as good as he's been, I was worried that without Arthur Smith, he might take a, a regression. But again, you can't screw up whether you're Todd Downing, whether you're Ryan Tannehill, you can't screw up those two receivers. So I'm with you at QB 12, same exact ranking I have Matt. Uh, I love all that. What about the Falcons for you? I mean, is this just going to be Calvin Ridley, like wide receiver? As we all were saying with, you know, A.J. Brown, 200 target potential. Now that's looking almost like the potential for Calvin Ridley. Like who else is around him? I mean, Kyle Pitts, of course. But let, let's kind of talk about some of those Falcons. What do you think for Ridley? What do you think about Pitts? Kind of what are we seeing there, uh, the, the vacation now that he's left? It is an intricate situation because yeah. – you would think, well, we don't think. We know Calvin Ridley's now a smash, right? I moved him up from my wide receiver seven, I believe, to wide receiver five. I still yep. don't, and could be wrong here, but still don't believe he should be in the top tier with the target hosses like DeAndre Hopkins, um, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. Um, but we know that last year without Julio, he did have a 31% target share and 51% of the team's air yards. The thing is, for the offense as a whole and that outlook, Ryan was bad without Julio Jones last year. The offense just cratered without a true second receiver. Uh, Ryan completed 61% of his passes, averaged a yard and a half per attempt, fewer without Julio Jones in the field. So I'm actually concerned. Having said that, maybe they do have a second true receiver in Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts' outlook yeah. is impossible to comp. Um, I'm actually still finalizing my tight end tiers. They're not on the site. They will be on the site 
perhaps by, I'm going to say Friday. I think I'll be done by Friday and then they'll all be finalized and I'll make one final update. But I actually put, because I have it on my end now, Kyle Pitts in a tier of his own behind the mm. top three in Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and then George Kittle. Because we don't know enough about Kyle Pitts to put him in the first tier. But we know he's probably better, and the opportunity will be there to go below that with the Dallas Goddard, TJ Hawkinsons, Tyler Higbees, Logan Thomases of the world. Um, Pitts, if you want to cop into a tight end, like only five tight ends ever have eclipsed 850 receiving yards as rookies. And only one, Mike Ditka in 1961, has ever gone over 1,000 yards as a rookie. And then if you want to comp him to Calvin Johnson, which also makes sense, Calvin Johnson was still learning the game. It wasn't that great as a rookie. He had 750 receiving yards. So I just don't know what to do with him outside yeah. of drafting him as the tight end four in FFPC tight end premium leagues, whereas I think Pitts is still too rich for my blood in underdog drafts right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It's pretty tricky. I, I did love how you know, creative Arthur Smith had been with his tight ends, but Arthur Smith is now gone. You see John who line up in the back. Oh, well, no, he has Arthur Smith rather than the, yeah. the Falcons now. So I did love that, you know, that carryover, given how he's a tight ends coach. He's used his tight ends so well. Even Delaney Walker back in the day, like four straight years of 850 and multiple TDs, like one of the only tight ends to do that in recent history. So I do love the, the offense he's walking into. I love the vacated volume. The track record of rookies is not great at the tight end position, as you were indicating there. But when you got a Calvin Johnson comp from a lot of people, there's a reason why he's going as high as he is. I'm right there with you. I actually have Hawkinson in a tier with him, just given the, the volume he might see. And that's but, fair. And, and honestly, like Pitts, it's just tough because I would like to move him higher. But again, we just don't understand the comp. And maybe this is wrong, but I treat it as a blanket statement to just be very wary and not take rookie tight end seriously because yeah. when they come to the NFL, it makes a lot of sense why they struggle. They're learning three positions. They're learning offensive line, wide receiver, and their own. Uh, maybe Arthur Smith dumbs the game down and makes it that much easier for literally the best tight end talent we've ever seen, uh, or at least we've seen since Vernon Davis. Again, Vernon Davis wasn't good as rookie year either. So I don't it's just a, it's going to be very fun to see how it plays out. I am just wary of the fantasy side of it. For sure. I did love the quote I recently read in The Athletic about him, though, where Smith's quote, quote, Arthur Smith's creative mind was evident when he lined up first round pick Kyle's Pitts on the right side. And then in the slot, Ryan threw to him more than any other receiver in the first two pass drills. He didn't look like a tight end. He looked like a new car that Smith wanted to take for a test ride. Now I get OTAs, short seasons, like I get it, but that's still encouraging. Like it's not a bad thing that he's moving all over the place that he's already forging that rapport. So it could and, be bananas. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, like between them, cause you know, Julio Jones, of course, vacates opportunity and Russell Gage, everyone's going to him. The issue is I think that ship already sailed. You should have been drafting Russell Gage yeah. knowing that Julio was going to get traded in that like month, two week span, which which I was doing in Matt Ryan double stacks just in case. But right now, like Russell Gage isn't a player that leaps a tier because of talent. Like it's strictly opportunity based. Uh, mm. Even last year when Julio was out, he averaged eight targets a game, but only 10 and a half fantasy points per game because he's not – I mean, sounds mean. He's not a talented player. He's just, he's a special team slot guy. You have right. to have immense volume like a Jamison Crowder, let's say, to truly deliver as a, just a exclusive slot receiver and Gage is not that type of player. So I would not even be going to that route now. I'd be waiting if you're double stacking Ryan and without pits, 
for the very last round and just grabbing Olamide Zacchaeus and hoping he lands in the slot this year. Interesting strategy there for sure. One last stat to throw out before we move on there. We're going to talk about the vacated volume you're alluding to, uh, but but Calvin Ridley, just to return to him real quick, and the reason he is now a complete smash, he's seen nine-plus targets in every game without Julio the past two years. His pace when he sees nine-plus targets is 110 receptions on 174 targets, 1,633 yards, 11 TDs. That would be 343 fantasy points, 21.41 per game. Only Devontae Adams would have had more last year. So goes to show you what he's done with that opportunity as well. Uh, so very exciting about just all these people. I know we're a little all over the place with the impact. But that's what happens when you get a, a monster like Julio landing there. Yeah. Uh, and Derrick Henry, by the way. Like, you know, nobody saw more stacked box- boxes the last two years. I mean, is this guy going to run for 20 touchdowns this year with you know, more open field and more scoring chances? Like, what, what about the run game? Uh, I mean, Derrick Henry also is just – it's just full of outlier players on Tennessee. That's the thing because uh, Derrick Henry has handled 827 touches. If you include the postseason, the past two years, which is an anomaly player. But the thing is if there's a player who would not break down from that workload, it is the anomaly <laughs> that is Derrick Henry. Plus right. you have to fit, remember like he's not your average running back. He was basically almost out of the league a year and a half into his career. It took Dion Lewis getting injured for, True. Matt LaFleur at the time, the Titans OC, to finally unleash Derrick Henry over the last month of the season, and we haven't looked back since. He's been truly the king of rushing. And so maybe he'll break down, who knows, but the fact that he doesn't catch passes, that we can honestly say he may never see 40 targets in his entire career at running back uh, makes it hard to put him in that top tier among those touch-based workhorses. It is tricky, yeah, for sure. And the volume in the past game certainly is not going to be any better with Julio there. I don't know if it will matter, though, after right. two straight years of leading the league in carries and yards and rushing TDs. I don't see any reason why that won't be the case yet again, as you mentioned. The guy's a tank. Like If there's going to be an anomaly, it's Derrick Henry, uh, for sure. And we, we were talking about, we kind of hinted at it, and this is probably one of my favorite things, uh, NBC Sports Edge, and, and that you do over there. It's simple, but it's just so important. And that's the available targets and air yards and also the unaccounted for carries. Given that we're playing for 2021 and not 2020, we have to consider how these depth charts have shaken out in the offseason, what's become available, who might end up inheriting some of that volume. It's a simple grid, but it's just one of the most important things I think fantasy owners can, can check out and look at. Uh, and why don't we just start with the, the vacated air volume? I mean, the Falcons were obviously, we're talking about them, first in vacated carries and fourth in targets. But are there any other like wide open teams from an aerial perspective that owners really need to be aware about? And, and how do they act upon that? So for those that don't know, yeah, if you go to NBC Sports Edge or just Google it, 2021 available air yards and targets, for example, uh, there's a column there that's going to have a lot of numbers next to teams. And what that is, I post every year. This is actually the very first column I posted on RIP Roto World. Um, Evan Silva DM'd me at the time and I told him I had this idea and he said, get it up on the site now. And we just yeah. put it up. So now for the past four or five years, every weekend, immediately after the Super Bowl, um, I go, I di- start diving into free agency. Who's, who's going to be a restricted, unrestricted, yada, yada. And uh, I take them off the, off the depth chart, thus highlighting the targets that would be missing if they sign, get traded or get released elsewhere. And that leads us to, oh, this team has this much opportunity missing from last year. And to be clear, 
it needs to have context every time you talk about this. But I think this column is a terrific starting point for offseason mm-hmm. discussion, especially right now, post-draft, post-free agency, because we can actually add the context because the data is right here. And I even went in this year and did the extra work, which is a lot more work, and um, actually categorized it into positions as well if you scroll right over the column. So it actually has how many wide receiver targets in particular mm-hmm. are missing from each team, running back targets, etc. For example, Lions are at the top. We know they lost basically all their receivers, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, the list goes on and on, all except Quintus Cephas. And so that's why they have 360 targets, 120 more than any other team missing from last year's production, which comes out to a 64% total target share that is missing from last year. And more importantly, It's the second most targets inside the 10, literally half of them, 50% from last year. And that's important because inside the 10 targets actually have a high R squared. It's actually sticky year to year as Mm. opposed to just red zone targets, which is why I don't use red zone targets or targets inside the five. Inside the 10 is what we see actually carries over because certain players earn their targets that way. Thus, they sort of take those targets with them wherever they go. Uh, So there's immense opportunity. Now, the context portion of that is that the Lions offense is going to be horrible. That, I mean, that's it's as that simple. And so we know they have a ton of targets to go around, league high in fact, like I mentioned earlier. But also, it may not even matter. It's probably enough, honestly, to support one receiver, and that's it. And I'm guessing we were all banking on TJ Hawkinson being that one player, and yeah. we can probably ignore, even though I have been drafting a little bit of, let's say, Brashad Perryman, mm-hmm. because Brashad uh, Perryman has been good for three different teams now in a row if you count like the last month of the buck the browns the last month of the bucks and then when he when he was healthy with competent quarterback play from joe flacco who was much better than sam darnold for whatever reason last year with the jets and so i think perryman for better or worse can lead them from uh receiving as a wide receiver Absolutely. I love all those stats. I think Hawkinson, that's why I have him in that tier with a Kyle Pitts, even though Hawkinson might not be quite that freakish of an athlete. The guy's a very complete tight end that should pace one of the very few tight ends you can look and say that guy's going to pace his team in targets. So to me, he's right there at tight end four and Pitts is at tight end five. They're kind of interchangeable for me in that same tier. Uh, and Perriman, love that stab on him. Could easily see 100-plus targets as a guy that you can get in round 12, 13, and especially in best ball, which we're going to talk about momentarily, uh, where you don't have to predict which week he blows up. You know there's going to be at least two or three in there, regardless of what team he's on, never mind the most wide-open aerial pie in the league right now. So I'm with you there. I love all those points. What about on the ground? Is there any teams – We talk, I already mentioned the Falcons. Uh, we've talked about – I think they're at the top of the list, if I'm not mistaken – whether you want to dive into them or a different team, uh, is there one or two big takeaways you see by the vacated uh, unaccounted for carries that you do over there? So to your point, the Falcons have 89% of their carries missing from last year. And I know why people are down on Mike Davis, both from the macro sense and him landing in the quote unquote RB dead zone and the micro sense and that he didn't hold up last year under that major workload. My, my arguments to both are one, I don't think people are correctly assessing his situation because he went through the draft, he went through free agency without anyone blocking him at all. There was literally no competition for to be a three-down workhorse in that offense. Also, with that many carries, a league high, like I said, I don't even care if he gets all of them. The fact is we know his strength is pass catching. So mm-hmm. even if he gets half, and I think he's going to get more than half, 
But if yeah. he gets half of those carries, that still makes him a 150 carry back, let alone the receptions he's undoubtedly going to see because that defense is still atrocious and they will be forced to keep the foot on the gas to co be competitive in games. Not to mention that last year Davis broke down because that was the that was the most touches in his career, even going back to college by a hundred plus. He had never handled that kind of workload. And that was without off-season reps. Now we actually get OTAs, training camp, with him being the team's number one back. I think it's a just completely different situation than last year. So I understand builds, you want to avoid that area of running backs. For instance, Jack Miller does really good macro work on yeah, it. He does. And I remember him listening to him actually on my most recent drive. Uh, to FSGA recently um, on the 4 for 4 pod, he said that the data shows RBs with ADP second round through the sixth um, have a lower uh, win rate by 12 to 15% for best ball than the wide receivers. And that's why we are not drafting the running backs in the dead zone and we're picking off the top tier of tight ends or receivers instead. And so I understand why you're not drafting Davis. Having said that, if you do have some wacky builds, because in these large field best ball tournaments, remember formats are so important. You have to be one of 155,000 in order to win a million. It's not just a 12-man league you're trying to win here. Right. So you have to get wacky and wild with your lineups in a intelligent way. And so there are double-stack builds with Matt Ryan, Mike Davis, and Russell Gage or Calvin Ridley, let's say, that make a lot of sense. So that's where I would be drafting Davis. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I actually think besides Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's my favorite single pick in drafts this year, Mike Davis is my my second favorite. I absolutely love like the round four-ish price we're getting on him. Sometimes even round five, like I'll pass him up because it is this dead zone. I'm like, I don't want to do it. And he's still sitting there in round five. And I, I can't pass that up. If this offense ends up being even close to efficient as what the Titans were under Arthur Smith, especially in the red zone, first and second in red zone efficiency the past two years, that's going to be great for this guy. And uh, never mind the quad pictures. We've all seen those, the, the quad God there. He's built for this workload. I know he broke down last year. I'm not worried about it. He broke tackles at the highest rate beyond only Nick Chubb. I, I mean, the guy can play. He's not sexy. It's not beautiful pick, but it, you know, he can do it all. He can be a three down horse in an offense that could be towards the top half of the league, even after losing Julio. He can get around four or five. Like why, why not? Like what I, all the analytics, I get it. It makes sense. But still, this this could be the anomaly to that running back dead zone. I also want to agree with you on Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I believe is like yeah. one of two true late-round quarterbacks. Uh, it's Two is not a late-round quarterback. He's a low-end QB2, incorrectly, I believe, by the way. I have him as like my QB16 or 17 above the market, and I will absolutely stay there because I think that's where he's going to end up in August once we start getting heated training camp reports about him being good. Because yeah. go figure, he was an he was an injured rookie who didn't get offseason reps last year. How the hell did you think he was going to play? So right. no, I I don't take last year into account at all. Uh, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's just lazy, honestly, to say that he's boomer bust. Like if you do the work, you, you go look at what he's done since 2018 with the Bucks. He's actually been a QB one, so a top 12 finish in 16 of his last 26 starts, including four of six last year with the Dolphins. He did not get benched for performance reasons. He got benched mm -hmm. because it was part of the blueprint. You reach the bye, and then we put into it no matter how you're performing because that's still the guy you are a bridge to. He was yeah. signed as a bridge quarterback in Washington. The difference is they did not get the successor this year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not Taylor Heineke. They just re-signed him. That's it. That is not their bridge rookie they're eventually going to pass the torch to. So there is no competition uh, for Fitzpatrick this year, and they're going to be a very good team, just the way they're 
structured organizationally, um, particularly on defense as well. And so uh, Fitzpatrick will keep his job all year long. And it's just amazing. People don't want to treat him as a QB 16, QB 17 um, around the two range. Instead, they're treating him as a low end QB two, if not QB three. And that's just wrong. I actually have him even a step above that. I have him as a low end QB one, like 12 13 range for me, like right after Tannehill. I think that can't drops off and that's where I have him. I can't get there because of the rushing volume or the lack thereof. Yeah. But I I would not argue against it. That's totally fine because he's going to have some amazing boom weeks for sure. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. My favorite single pick in best ball and regular season. Like I just, I think the guy's going to chuck for 35, 40 touchdowns with these weapons and then offense that threw it, you know, eighth most in the league was I think sixth in pace. I mean, he, he was a QB one, I think 60, 70% of the time with the dolphins in an offense that ranks towards the bottom of the league in pass attempts, bottom of the league in pace with Devonte Parker as his best asset like this, everything about this situation is better. So if he just chucks it, like he ch- has been chucking it, and to these weapons, the results are going to be glorious. I'm, I'm all about it, uh, and I'm all about Mike Davis. But we've been hinting at it. I mean, this is why I know we. I would love to have you on multiple times, as many times as you're willing to come on, man, because we're already 20 minutes in. We haven't even gotten to the best ball stuff, which is why we have you here, because uh, you just got a great brain to pick, and I, I appreciate you being here, giving me the depth. Uh, but we are here for some best ball. It's what our listeners are expecting. So why don't we start digging on in there? Uh, what is best ball for anybody? I think most people at this point who are listening to our show or watching this know what it is, but just in case there's a few people that are like, I've heard of it. What is it? Like there's still some new, new beginners out there. What is best ball? How does it work? What are kind of some of the biggest differences you have to take into to account and, and where do you love to play? It is quite literally the best because yeah. <laughs> you don't have the weekly lineup headache decisions uh, cramping your style every single Sunday morning when you're hungover and trying to get something done. Um, you literally just draft your team and then it starts the highest score at that position for you. Now, there are many places to play underdog, the shirt says, for instance, yep. which uh, the app is the friendliest you'll receive. And so you have to always look at not only the scoring underdog, for instance, half PPR, same as FFPC. But if you go to a place like best ball tens, I believe that's full PPR uh, drafters is full PPR as well. Um, but yeah, it, it depends on how many positions you also start. And then the format, because right now, if you look at best ball streams, a lot of people are doing the best ball mania, which is the big $1 million payout mm-hmm. tournament. But again, that is one of 155,000 people to win that tournament. That's not how you're going to get ROI. So like I, behind the scenes, I'm still playing every single day because it not only is how I will make money throughout these months, but also because it helps me for my job just to know ADP and have skin in the game. Yeah. Like how can I actually give you an opinion if I don't myself have skin in the game? I can't validate anything to you really. So uh, I do a lot of three mans behind the scenes because that is statistically like my best game. And so I, I, I play three mans just to get my money back on all that money I'm burning trying to win a million bucks. Yeah. So you just have to know the scoring and the format, what best suits you. But overall, just for know that when you draft in best ball, you, you don't have to worry about your lineup. It's set, which is why it's, it's structurally sound. Pretty much two quarterbacks, maybe three, depending on who you get. Like, for instance, if you get a top five quarterback, which we all know the top five, right? Uh, no one sneaks in there. Dak is number five, if you want, by the way. Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, and Kyler. And then you can get Lance or Trey Fields, for instance, who may not start but will be available most likely mid-year and at the end, and they can be top 10 quarterbacks given their high rushing floors. And so I like doing those two quarterback builds, four or five running backs, 
eight or nine receivers and two tight ends. And unless you're doing late round tight end and skipping the second tier, then that would be three tight ends. But that's pretty much the structure and that's it. And like, if you stick to that structure, honestly, you probably will have positive ROI. Absolutely. You just kind of hinted at the optimization of your roster, the positions to target. We're going to dig into those positions specifically, and we'll talk about where you go. Uh, Obviously, and I think most owners are aware of stacking, uh, especially for DFS. Uh, Everybody knows you got to stack on daily fantasy. Is that also equally as crucial in best ball? Do you always make sure you force a stack uh, within your drafts or is it, is it not as crucial? It is even more crucial, actually. It's very important to get those high upside shootouts. And I know the the usual complaint or the question is that, well, what if the offense fails? Very true. That could happen. There's risk baked into everything. But again, to give yourself the most upside, you ask yourself in any situation in life, really, like, how do I be all in on this? When I win, how much or how do I really win? Not just toes in the water win. And uh, it is by double stacking your quarterbacks within that offense. And so your Trey Lance, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, your, as we talked about earlier, Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, you you will soak up all the points in shootouts throughout the year for those offenses. Now, right now, ADP is pretty set because nothing's happening. Uh, This next week and the final week, of OTAs, by the way, until we take a month off for training camp, may jostle ADP a bit, but right now it's set. So really you don't want to find yourself reaching over ADP unless you know, for instance, it's wrong. Like Tannehill now, we talked about it earlier, is going to move up two rounds. So it makes sense that he's getting drafted two rounds above his ADP right now. But you don't want to reach because remember that everyone is getting that player at that ADP right now since it's set in stone. Thus, they have better players than you because they're drafting someone else two rounds before you took Tannehill, for instance. So, or someone else, not Tannehill. So yeah, it's just you don't want to be caught reaching right now. But overall, that is that's really the the structure and um for stacking what how it's happening. Absolutely. The the offense or the the one strategy I find myself I've done about five, six or so uh, best ball manias, chucking it. I, I got to pay more attention to the uh, the three mans, the smaller leagues, because I'm all about going for the milli. Like I need to also get a little bit smart with my uh, investments here, my ROI. Uh, but I find myself landing early more than anyone else, Travis Kelsey. Like if I, the first few running backs, those really cemented workhorses, anywhere from like pick four on, I'm going Kelsey because I know you know, my tight end position, I don't have to worry about that other than one late round guy that's going to fill in for a, you know, bye week, but I'm loading up on him. Then I load up on as many, you know, a a few running backs early and as many receivers as I can. And then Fitzmagic and and those rushing quarterbacks, Fields, Lance, that's kind of been my philosophy. Take a a bunch of stabs at the running backs receivers after landing my sure thing at tight end with Travis Kelsey or round two guy. If I don't get Kelsey, I can get, you know, Waller, Kittle, whoever that might end up being. That's kind of what I've been going for. Does you know more about the, the research and the optimization and all that stuff? Is that a terrible strategy or what do you think about that? No, I think it's good. It honestly just comes down to each room. That's why I'm not a zero RB savant sure. because even though like it, it's very true, like uh, it does lend itself to higher true win rates, not just placing, but like, remember, you're not trying to get third. We're trying to win every single league we're in. And so that's how it is because you take on risk, but also give yourself more upside. And so I I do get that study, but I also hate telling everyone to go into drafts and just do it 
Because yeah. if the room gives you something else, like you shouldn't be stuck to one plan. You should know if right. you can remember quotes True. to Anchorman, you can remember four or five draft strategies. It's not that hard. And yeah. so just always be willing to go with the flow. And so the, what I find myself doing typically, especially in the top six of drafts, is going uh, that anchor running back strategy that I love. So you're, you get your first to the top tier. Then you hopefully Waller comes back to you. If not, you round out with three, four, five receivers to that point because – once again, quoting the studies of Mike Leone, Jack Miller, J.J. Zacharyson, uh, uh, Sean Siegel of Rotoviz, all those guys, nice. you basically should have four or five ride receivers by the seventh round. And so yeah. uh, I'm looking to go with that build every single time personally. But if the room gives me something else, if uh, let's say like an Aaron Jones uh, slips to round three or four for some odd reason, I'm taking that and I'm quickly zigging when everyone else is zagging. So just depends. Love it. Uh, well, you, as, a, as we've mentioned at the top, you can find all of John's tiers over at NBC Sports Edge, formerly Roto World. Uh, he's currently released his QB running back and receiver tiers. As you were saying, you think the tight ends might be out around Friday, the end of this week or so. Please check those out, folks. It's you know as good as this podcast if you're listening, uh, audio, if you're catching the live stream video. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to start digging into these positions. But I'm telling you, these insightful blurbs, like I found myself just – copying those notes into like a, my, I kind of have this like humongous Google doc of my rankings. Sure. And I just like, I keep cherry picking your, your notes and adding them to my players. Like, Oh, no wonder I had this guy at this high, or maybe I got to reconsider those blurbs that you're putting on everybody are just so insightful. So digestible, do yourself a favor, folks. If you're considering best ball, or even if not, even if you're just doing redraft, like these, the nuggets that you can find in here are so so valuable. So I just want to make sure I get that out there to everybody. You have to check these out. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, but but the key also that I love about these is that you use tiers. I've always done tiered rankings. I don't I don't really like any lists that are not put into tiers. Uh, but why do you consider Mike? I could rage on for this for forever. Why do you consider tiers so important? You know, in general, but also specifically for best ball and how do you use them? There's obviously a much more intelligent way to say it than this, but how I explain it to everyone is that uh, imagine, you know, we live 80 years and then we die. Uh, imagine wasting our time arguing about the QB6 or QB7 by fractional points. We don't have enough time in life to do that, especially because we don't know as much as we think we do. We have to admit we're wrong to improve our approach in everything, honestly, not just fantasy football. And so to me, I use tears because those are the arguments we should be having. It's like, oh, well, I, I can see you taking that player over that player for sure. It's the same, same individual, same tier, same amount of rushes, whatever. Who cares? But when you're dipping below that, that's where I may start arguing with you from, from volume, from offensive concerns, from everything else. So what I try to do with my tiers is just make sure that the top player can exceed or fall below the bottom player or basically the other way around bottom player better be able to reach that top player. Otherwise the tier doesn't make sense. For instance, um, let's, let's go to tier three. For instance, I have Matthew Stafford higher than consensus, I believe is the QB 10 in yep. the start tier three. And then at the bottom of tier three, I have Justin Fields as the QB 18. Of course, Justin Fields, if he starts a full year, rushing volume alone can beat Matthew Stafford. And that's the exact tier I have them in. So if someone takes Justin Fields as the QB 10, QB nine, even sure. I would totally agree with you. No problem at all. So that's how I do every single position. And we're going to dive into QBs right away. But I, as you're illuminating, what I also like about tiers is how it illustrates like the positional landscape. As you just said, 10 to 18, there's 
that many guys that could fall within that range of outcome. There's, you know, that many guys that could end up being the 10th best quarterback or maybe even better depending on the range of outcomes, but it just shows you, okay, I can maybe wait on quarterback. Uh, Maybe I don't need to take Stafford at round, you know, if he's going at eight, if I think fields might be there in round 15, it just shows you kind of the overall overarching position. And that's kind of where we'll start here. Uh, And we're going to ask the kind of the same questions for every position as we go through them. We'll look at the overall landscape. We'll then look at the tiers and players to uh, that you're targeting, the tiers and players that you're kind of avoiding. You don't find yourself dipping in too much, and then your single favorite pick at each position. So why don't we start with quarterback and just talk about the overall landscape? How do you kind of see this position shaking out in fantasy in 2021? I am still trying to decide and figure out and research whether last year was an anomaly or a changing of the guard because last year the late round quarterback truly died uh, yeah. because. It used to be we were chasing those late-round quarterbacks because they offered high rushing floors. That may still be the case for some names, but now the best quarterbacks in the league also have high rushing floors. Mm-hmm. They have the best arms and the best legs in the league. Uh, in potent offenses because coaches and young offensive coordinators are also intelligent enough to build around and then cater to those quarterbacks. I even say in the Patrick Mahomes blurb, there, there's a reason why him, Tyreek Hill, essentially exploded down the stretch because in the second half of the season, they were running the second highest pass play rate and neutral game script and with a lead. When Patrick Mahomes throws the ball every time he drops back, essentially, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to be awesome. It's going to result in fantasy points. And so that is the thing, and that's why the top five quarterbacks are a tier of their own, and they're so important because they are truly the best. And even in DFS last year, if you play, whether it was cash games or tournaments, the cheap quarterback essentially died for a majority of weekends because that that 4K, 4,500 guy – had no chance of scoring no. 20 more fantasy points and matching those top five guys. And so, and that's what makes every every draft unique this year because I don't know if that was just an anomaly or if maybe that is, since these quarterbacks are essentially in the same exact situation, maybe that's how we should view the landscape of this position moving forward for at least like the next decade or whatever. Yeah, it, it is interesting that top five, like I've always been a late round quarterback enthusiast ever since J.J. Zachary's, like his stuff has always, like, it's just always been the case, supply, demand, but the edge has was just so ridiculous when you're getting 30 points a week from Dak before he gets hurt. Kyler Murray, like you just can't make those points up, especially obviously in super flex and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, I'm starting to reconsider my my overarching strategy here and, and maybe dipping in. I, I know I said earlier, I've been going, you know, late round again, Fitzmagic, Justin Fields and like trying to, you know, hit lightning late. But maybe I do have to reevaluate because it is so true that the best arms are also some of the best legs at the position. And how do you beat that? Like, it's literally just a cheat, the Konami code, as they call it. Like, it is a cheat code. And that's I like that you equate it to DFS, too, because I noticed myself all of last year, every single week paying up for quarterback. I'm like, I'm not doing this right. I, I used to always pay down. All the research suggests you got to pay down at quarterback and, and pay up everywhere else. But the only times I would win money were the weeks where I was going in, you know, expensive at the quarterbacks, whether it was Russell Wilson early on, Dak, uh, you know, whoever was facing the Falcons, like whatever big name quarterback. So that, that's an that's a good way to kind of pinpoint it in my mind. Like I, I want to wait on quarterback, yet when I play DFS every single week, I'm paying up every single week. Like that should probably change my season long philosophy, my best ball philosophy too. Interesting, interesting points uh, there. So you're you're saying you got to lock in your your top five guy. Are you essentially making sure you get that? Like, where's that cut off for you? So I think the one 
tier breaker truly could be Jalen Hurts, uh, who I have in tier two because he did average 12 carries per game and his three full starts. I still question the arm talent because uh, even going back to Oklahoma, he was never a guy who was like a very accurate thrower. It was He was purely an athlete, and that's how Lincoln Riley got the best of him. And last year even, he either took off or chucked the ball deep, and those deep balls were inaccurate, but at least that's what he did, which allows itself to higher volatility in fantasy football because the risk comes with the reward, right? Uh, it's baked in that perhaps sometimes those catches get caught, thus there are more higher yardage breakout games. And so if there is someone who could bust into the top five, if only because he is truly an athlete who looks to run the ball every time, it is Jalen Hurts. Uh, and that's the one player I'm worried about, honestly. Yeah, the one for me might be, I think he's your QB6 as well, as Justin uh, Herbert. Sure. I mean, I, I could see this guy chucking 45, 50 TDs, kind of having that humongous breakout season that you get in round six, seven after those big names are gone. Although, I mean, the way that Lamar Jackson's falling these days, like I might not even have to worry about that. If I can get Lamar Jackson around five, like a game over, I'm going to do that every single time, which I've seen sometimes, but I could see Herbert with that, that revamped offensive line going from worst to at least middle of the pack. Certainly the most improved line adding Corey Lindsley and that the way that Slater fell to them. Like, I think that's going to just mean the world to this offense. Uh, maybe Lombardi, he did bust with the Lions, but comes from the Saints, pass happy. If it all clicks, he's the guy that I could see really just lighting it up. We already saw him light it up as a rookie, so it's not like so bold, Wolf. But, like, we've seen this guy already kind of go nuts and maybe hampered a little bit by the, the surroundings around him, whether it's a protection or play calling. If those thing, two things line up for him, I could see him leading the league in passing touchdowns. Well, with Mahomes in the league, that's kind of that's pretty tricky to do. But I love Herbert to maybe break that tier as well. Totally fair. And Lombardi's history, even going back to college, um, his previous coordinating stance have highlighted the X receiver. And the X receiver in this offense is Mike Williams, who Ooh. under Anthony Lynn was pigeonholed as a deep and red zone threat. That's why he's led the team in air yards every year. And that's why he's also led in end zone targets, because that's just the type of player he is. Good because Hunter Henry vacated a team high 10 end zone targets but also there's a legitimate chance here that Lombardi does not see uh Williams as that type of receiver in a contract year and feeds him 120 130 targets and like imagine Mike Williams getting 130 targets my god so that's that that is that upside is absolutely baked in because that includes Herbert who would be chunking with the ball and likely having success doing it downfield yeah, and they, I, if I'm not mistaken, they recently commented, I think it was an athletic article, saying, you know, our ex receiver moves around a lot. We use him all the way. I mean, that was the, the Mike Thomas role over there with the Saints. They put, they put Mike, we know Keenan Allen's going to lead this team in targets, but still, as you said, over anything over 110, 120, 130, jeez, <laughs> that, that's just getting me excited over here thinking about that one. Uh, but in terms of, so you, you've already talked about your top targets is that top tier. You want to try to get one of those top five guys. Worst case, a Jalen Hurts that might break into the tier. After that, what are you doing at the quarterback position? Is there another tier that you're like, all right, this is always going to be my second? Or do you just kind of get your top guy and then just see how the rest plays out? So I do a lot of two quarterback builds. And since Lamar and Dak, for whatever reason, have been falling, Lamar especially, uh, I have zero Josh Allen. And it's not that I would love to have Josh Allen. I can't get Josh Allen because his ADP is too high. And so yeah. um, I've ended up with a lot of Lamar. I usually – it doesn't make sense to grab another top guy with Lamar. Um, no. So I usually wait for Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Those are my two middle-tier guys. And then I build with those two quarterbacks. Uh, I don't do much three-quarterback builds at all. Yeah, and I think it was you too that tweeted out, was it today, that – 
Trey Lance's playoff schedule. Isn't it like oh, completely yeah. insane, right? Like Texans, Titans, and then another joke. Falcons, well. Falcons, Texans, yeah. Titans. Ooh. And I know everyone says like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to think that too far, but honestly, like that is literally the edge. One of the many, the sharp Justin Herzig of established the run had when he took down the first best ball mania for 200 K last year. He even said he stacked that saints Falcons game, knowing it would be a shootout yeah. and uh, Kamara, what happened? He scored six touchdowns. So it, it took a blow up week, but it makes sense to look that far in advance because everyone says, Oh, well, every, everything might change. Sure. It might, but what if it doesn't then, it already takes getting lucky to get that far. And so if you get that far, why not have just a little bit of setup? Why not have just a little bit of approach to it? And so just looking at those week 17 games in particular, I think is a major edge. By the way, the Rams play the Ravens in week 17. So any like Lamar stacks, even if you're going naked with him and not playing with the receiver, since he can't support that as a rushing quarterback, I think you should always run it back with, let's say, Tyler Higby or uh, Ben Jefferson in the last round. Very intriguing. Nice. I, I love that. I mean, it's true. You're going to win the million this year. As you mentioned, what, 150-something thousand people. Yeah. You have to be having that foresight. Absolutely. What about in terms of avoids? Is there like any tiers, groups of quarterbacks, or just whether you want to use your groups or specific names that you're like, I, I'm just not going here at all this year? It is pretty much the last tier. Uh I started even with Deshaun Watson because, again, you have to get a little wild in these tournaments. And the three quarterback builds I do have, it is with Deshaun Watson as my yep. third quarterback, knowing full well that it could just be taking a zero. Most likely taking a zero, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But if he's cleared and then traded, because I don't think he would play for the Texans even if he is cleared, then mm – -hmm. It, he's clearly in that tier, not because of talent, like he'd be in the top tier. He'd be at the second tier. Uh, it's because he may not play at all. So that's the one player I dip to. Other than that, though, I have seen a lot of – I'm curious to get your opinion on Carson Wentz. I've seen a lot of very sharp players uh, take the dip on all the Colts, and that makes a lot of sense, and especially ADP because the risk is baked into it. But there is – there's some major risk that those players are just complete busts. Like there's a reason why the Colts baked that conditional pick they traded to the Eagles for Carson Wentz into the trade, because now Carson Wentz, if he doesn't play 75% of the team snaps, that first round pick becomes a second round pick. That's a huge deal because if this team is mediocre or just bad, they will bench him, throw Jacob Eason in, in the last month of the season and just say, that's fine. We got him for a second round pick. No big deal. And so I'm, I'm really worried about the Colts. But I want to get your take. And two, I guess that's the lowest I'd go. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Like, obviously, you have that that Frank Wright connection where, you know, Carson Wentz was on that MVP pace and looking like the next biggest QB in the league. And maybe if anyone's going to resurrect him, it would be Frank Reich. And they already all the articles about the synergy being back and, you know, the chemistry and all that good stuff. But I don't know that I buy it. I mean – the, all the reports about the locker room not respecting him last year. And it's like, sure, it helps to obviously have a coach that believes in you, of course. But the players also have to believe in you, too. And if this is not a guy that's like as kind of old schooly as it might sound, a leader of men, like if that's not him, it, then the, the team is going to quit on him sooner than later. And, yeah, he's got some talent. But like T.Y.'s old – if they had gone for Julio Jones, like obviously this is a way different – conversation but if ty is you're still your top you know maybe paris campbell i, I don't know I, I don't love the weapons really if you're just banking on a, a coach and quarterback relationship that's your only kind of thing to bank on and that's really all i got here for him like 
you know, Rivers didn't have that many big games. He had an okay season. Like, it's just not – to me, I'm with you. Like, that – I'm not going – if I'm hitting Wentz, that means I, I've gone too late and I'm kind of screwed on that team. Uh, I, I typically need to get my – you know, Fitzpatrick, given how cheap he is, it's like, give me Fitzpatrick all day. Give me a rushing quarterback. Uh, but especially, I'm, I'm going to start reconsidering getting that elite guy. But, yeah, I'm not in on Wentz. Like, I, I don't buy into the – the whole bounce back because it's just completely coach driven. And yes, I, I do love studying coaches and looking at all that, but you know, I, I don't know. I'm not in on it. I'm, I'm with you there. Makes sense uh, for sure. Well, we've already, I, I don't know if you've already told me your single best pick, but is there, is it Lamar? Is there another quarterback that you consider like the best pick right now in best ball and fantasy? Uh, so the first rounds, if you're going from the top tier, it is Dak and Lamar. I'd, I'd have to look at my exposure, but I'm pretty sure those are my two highest known quarterbacks, highest rostered. And then if it goes to tier two, uh, I love two QB, two QB builds also with Jalen Hurts and Trey yeah. Lance. Those are going to be my four guys I will be above market on. ADPs are – they're maybe not incorrect for Trey Lance, but you should leap three or four rounds for Trey Lance because people are treating him like he would be your QB one. Again, you're building with two quarterbacks or three quarterbacks with him. And then the, G doesn't have to start the first five games because they hit by on week six. If he comes out after week seven and is the team starter uh, for the blueprint reasons, then he could easily still finish inside the top 10 because his best comp is Michael Vick. He is literally Michael Vick if it is all put together. And if you can get Michael Vick for 10 games, um, he's going to break the tier. And so that's why I love just making sure I have him as my backup to start the year. Absolutely. I love it all. Well, let's move our attention here to running back. And same kind of question here. What do you kind of see as the overall landscape? We'll start with that of the running back position. So, you know, I've, I've talked to some other very sharp people, and maybe the top tier shouldn't even that big. If you want to decrease the top tier, maybe it should be Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Alvin Kamara as your three because we know they're good players. We know they're going to get targets, and it's as simple as that. We know they're workhorses. Having said that, I think there's still risk baked into Kamara's outlook because of the question under center. Whether it be Taysom Hill, who literally ignored Kamara for a 14% target share last year in his four starts, or Jameis Winston, who just didn't target his running backs. Maybe not the case. It probably isn't sticky to just say, oh, he's not going to look to Kamara because he didn't target the running backs in the Bucks. Totally different situation. Uh, but I still think it's a question mark looming over Kamara, especially if we're like guaranteeing him as a top four overall pick. So I have someone I don't have a question mark on, and I know it's controversial. Uh, I have Ezekiel Elliott as my RB3, and I mentioned mm -hmm. in my tiers why. But the fact is that last year, everyone is looking way too much into it after he averaged career lows in rushing yards and fantasy points per game without his offensive lineman. Because in the months that Dak, or in the month, the four games that Dak was available, Zeke was still the RB3 overall and averaged yeah. a career high seven and a half targets per game. All everything was there that led to Zeke being a good pick to begin with. He's only 26 years old this year, and with last year in the distance now, it could have been for the offensive line. He also faced the league's second toughest rushing schedule in hindsight. He also had, perhaps had COVID fall because, remember, he did get COVID during the offseason as well, mm -hmm. and that affected Cam Newton. Like he said, it affected a lot of different players differently. So I don't know what the reasons are, but – we should not be using recency bias to affect our outlook on Zeke. And that's why I'm going right back to him uh, and ignoring everyone who is drafting him like outside of the top 10 incorrectly. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you actually on Zeke. I think I have him at RB six or so. I flip like him and Henry. I know you have Henry right around six. I have Henry right there at three and Zeke at six. But I'm with you on all those points, given how good he was with Dak, with the line banged up. You know, when he had a line, he was still a solid. Plus all the again short season, but you know he's in the best shape of his career. Dak saying, I've never seen him zipping around the field like this. Like for a player like Zeke, where there we've seen the moments of the baby fat and like a little slow and sluggish at times that does that. I do weigh that stuff when he comes in with a shredded six pack, when that midriff is looking in shape, it sounds so stupid, but I think it's important for a player like Zeke when he has that little bit of extra gear, like he's so good at just churning anyways, he's old, whether he's big Zeke or, or Joe trim Zeke, he's going to be burning tackles. He's going to be churning through you. But if he has that little bit of extra gear, which we've seen, you know, these first couple seasons where he was just a monster, like there's no reason that this offense can't get back to those DAC levels of being the highest score. Like it was on pace to put up records for NFL scoring. Then you give me the best Zeke Elliott version of himself in that best Cowboys offense. Like that could be a beautiful marriage. And, he could be the RB1. Very, nobody would be shocked if he's the and RB1. I, the and agree. If someone disagrees with Zeke as an RB3, totally fine. I just needed to make sure I shoved him into that top tier because I believe that's where he should be. And rounding out that tier, of course, I have Aaron Jones, Derek Henry, and Saquon Barkley. Aaron Jones, too, is probably controversial in the top tier. But again, you don't lose Jamal Williams' role, right, with 35 targets, uh, 14 routes per game, and then suddenly hand that to A.J. Dillon because they're two totally different archetypes. No. I, there is a concern, perhaps, that Dylan outcarries Aaron Jones, but I cannot I cannot no. logically get there with that. And he's never been a pass catcher, even going back to Boston College. So he wouldn't take that third down role from Aaron Jones. And last year, when Jamal Williams did it, either. So I think Aaron Jones should also be for his usage and pass catching ability, even from the wideout spot in the top tier. Yeah, I think he's significantly undervalued the way he falls, like mid round two. It's it's a joke. Uh, in that next year, I think a lot of people have, yeah, you know, Akers, Eckler, Mixon, Chubb, Taylor, Hilaire, Gibson, Harris. Love that tier in general. Are you avoiding those guys, though, from what you said earlier with that, like how the history suggests receivers are the, the play in that second kind of round tier? Are you not really finding yourself getting too much of those guys, or how are you addressing that tier? It always depends, but sometimes at the back end of rooms, it is literally possible to start uh, Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs. And if that's the case, and then someone who everyone's down on, like a Joe Mixon for some reason, or Clyde Edwards-Alaire falls, that will be my RB1, and then I'll continue drafting wide receivers or pick two tight ends behind that first tier. But overall, I, I don't mind getting this tier as an anchor build in like round two or three to start and then ignoring it until the, till the next tier and just stacking four or five more running backs from there. And do you have any particular targets within that tier? You know, once you've kind of avoided running back for a little bit and now you're getting ready to address the position, you know, what kind of players are you looking at to start getting back at that running back position? I do love Joe Mixon. Uh, again, recency bias affecting people's opinions from last year. I don't care. In the first six weeks, he was healthy. He led all running backs in touches. That's all you need to know. Also, when and he lost Gio Bernard this offseason. And when oh, they yeah. cut out Gio Bernard's role in the last three games, small sample I know, that he played, Joe Mixon averaged 27 and a half touches from week three through six. So he was just a massive workhorse. Love getting him as a touch-based RB1 in an offense that we know is going to return to being high volume like they were in Burroughs 10 games last year when they were per established runs Pat Thorman first overall in place per game and the fastest pace in neutral game script while Burrow was under center. 
Uh, beyond Joe Mixon, I've also been leaping as my anchor for Clyde edwards Lair, who currently literally is my highest rostered player in best ball. I believe I just looked yesterday because someone mentioned it, and he is at 58% right now. I love uh, it. He averaged, as I wrote in the tiers, he averaged 17.8 carries and five targets per game as the workhorse, even out carrying Daryl Williams inside the five. He just wasn't good at running inside the five. Don't care about that. I only care about opportunities there because it will uh, it will regress in time. So he was the workhorse until they signed Le'Veon Bell. Uh, they saw what they got out of Le'Veon Bell, healthy scratching for the postseason. He didn't matter at all. And then Edward Slayer returned to the Super Bowl, but we didn't get a full season. We just saw that first six games when he was treated like a workhorse until what they thought was an elite talent became available. And so I expect mm-hmm. Edwards Lair to go right back into that role from the first six games and surprise everyone with perhaps even a top tier performance. I, I'm with you. I think he is the one that I see jumping into that elite tier this year, falling into round three, given that offensive line improvements. We talked about the Chargers, maybe the most improved line, but right behind him has to be the Chiefs uh, with, with all the moves they've made along that front. I think it's going to make a world of difference. How many times we see him get blown up in the backfield, especially at the goal line. I think that big line beef additions and all the, the removal around him with, as you mentioned, I'm all about Hilaire there. So you got those guys. What about later? How do you round out your running back position? Do you find a couple guys that you constantly are landing on your roster? And when about, are you starting to take those running backs? So I will admittedly in three man leagues, let's say, I will stop at Mike Davis and Chase Edmonds. Like that's where we get, which is like RB18, uh, because mm-hmm. that's where it gets very questionable. Even Chase Edmonds and Mike Davis, in my opinion, like, like I said, I understand why people are questioning their roles. And even though I'm higher on it, maybe other people are right. So I will just go with my research and still draft them as my RB4 or 5. And then that's where I stop pretty much. I try to make sure I'm loaded up at that position until and, and then not going running back afterwards for three-man leagues. Again, trying to get ROI here. But for the 12-man leagues, when we dip further, that's when I'll get, go below tier three and then get into the Gus Edwards, let's say. Um, Damian Harris's ADP is incorrect because we know we are 95% sure Sonny Michelle's getting cut. And then ADP will jostle from there. Why wait? Why are we being reactive? We have to be proactive. Drafters are too sharp now. And so I love getting Damian Harris above ADP. We're knowing it's going to jump a month or two from now. And then beyond that, well, we don't have to get beyond that tier right now. But yes, that's kind of where I lean. I want more Trey Sermon, admittedly, but his ADP also is out of control. He's going as the RB 24 or 25 right now. And just, I believe it's poor practice to draft the first guy in a three-headed backfield. Like Shanahan even post-press uh, conference, post-draft press conference said he, under- he remembers he his third running back led the league in snaps last year. Also, the past two years, 49er running backs has led as a backfield in fantasy points, cumulative fantasy points. So we know they're going to score points as a backfield. We just will never be able to pick the right one, and I'll be damned if I'm picking the first one. So I've actually been waiting. You haven't got to this question yet, but I've actually been waiting, and uh, I've been getting overweight on Wayne Gallman since the Jeff Wilson entry, who, by the way, since March, I was overweight on Jeff Wilson. Gotcha. I love it. Wayne, I, I've, I've been sneaking him in those last rounds too. Love targeting that backfield, the cheapest potential option. It makes perfect sense for sure. And I love the Gus Edwards call too. I think he is the most unsexy, but like, it, it's like a, the bus is the perfect nickname for him. It's not sexy. No one wants to ride a bus, but then you take it and you're like, well, that was cheap and pretty effective. And that's what and, Gus Edwards is going to be. And like, I know there's hype for J.K. Dobbins, who we all love as a player, such a good player. 
but it doesn't matter. And Mark Ingram's five healthy five games he was healthy scratched for last year. Gus Edwards was only out touched 62 to 59. So Dobbins only had three wow. more touches and Dobbins only out targeted Edwards six to five, just one more target, literally mirror image. And yet it's Dobbins who's going literally five, six rounds earlier, yeah. which doesn't make sense at all. So I just take Edwards every time. I'm with you hundred percent. Well, who do you consider the single best running back to take in best ball right now? Oh, the single best. Uh, I mean, Gus Edwards, honestly, is up there. I'm, I'm looking. Well, Hilaire's your highest own, so it could be him too, right? Like, Hilaire, okay, oh, yeah. Then, yeah. Well, I, I, so, okay, I didn't know if you are going to allow me to, to go into that round. Okay, so I'll say Hilaire, and that's because, like I said, getting those receivers at the back end or starting Kelsey or Waller and then a top receiver and coming back, Edwards Hilaire is always available. It's actually pretty easy to start um, Kelsey or Hill and then Edwards Hilaire and then complete the Chiefs stack too. So for a lot of different building reasons, I think Edwards Hilaire is pretty much the best running back you can pick right now. Absolutely. Well, we'll move on to the wide receivers. This is going to be the last position we do because I know we're, we're up against the time here. And I want to respect your time. I appreciate you just giving me such great answers again. No, I'm having a great time, of course. Uh, fantastic, man. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, but we know wide receivers are kind of the lifeblood of best ball. As you said, that's the position you want to load up on the most, eight to nine at least, uh, on your rosters here. So how are you approaching the landscape of this position? How do your tiers kind of shake out here for the wide receiver position? So you know someone doesn't have skin in the game, by the way, if you're on social media and they say, like, why aren't people higher on this receiver? Because look at my tiers. Look at the rankings this year. You yeah. can't get higher on players. There are 30 receivers that we oh, all want. Yeah. It's impossible. So I had to make the tiers larger. And I started with the first one, as, again, everyone can see. And that is the target hogs in terrific offenses. Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, and DeAndre Hopkins aren't going anywhere. Uh, yep. AJ Brown was actually in that tier before the Julio Jones trade. But yeah. These are the top four They're guys, good. however you want to put them unanimously. Um, and then it goes beyond that into tier two. The top being Calvin Ridley now is my wide receiver five. The bottom being Cooper Cup. I just recently jammed the Rams receivers up there as the wide receiver 17 and 18 because mm. I believe – Matthew Stafford is a dark horse MVP cannon, and I do. I think that's going to be love one that of the best. Call. It's going to be one one of the best offenses in the league because yep. now um, McVay can finally expand it. He's he's just thrown darts at the wall the past year and a half because once everyone figured out he was a ninety nine percent eleven personnel guy, defense adjusted to film, and Jared Goff was unable to adjust to the league because he's not that type of player, and he would just crater under something that wasn't structured from the very beginning, and he had to just wing it. Whereas Stafford's not that. Stafford is both the arm talent and is a intelligent veteran. And so um, they're going to explode. They're going to use every inch of the grass. It's going to be incredible watching them. And so I just wanted to make sure that Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, who both have top 10 outcomes, were jammed up there. Yeah, I love I love that Rams call. I think that's one of the more underrated calls, that being the highest scoring offense in the league. That, that, that is certainly within the the range of outcomes that was the highest scoring offensive league McVay's system with, as you mentioned, Jared Goff, uh, and, and as predictable as can be, they still led the league in points just what, two, three years ago. And now you give him a quarterback that he's always dreamed of. This could unlock a monster, monster season where Stafford chucks 50 touchdowns and we've seen Woods get it done in every single facet. It, same with cup too. But now you add the touchdowns on top of that. This guy adds, 12 touchdowns to the, you know, you're getting 95 receptions and 1300 yards, but now you had 12, 15. I mean, that's, that's a top 10 receiver right there. So I absolutely love that. Yeah. And Stafford hasn't had like a, 
uh, a legitimate target hog at slot since Golden Tate, but we saw what Golden Tate did with him. Oh, and yeah. now that they have the boundary stretchers in however long Deshaun Jackson's healthy for, with then Tutu Atwell to replace yep. him if necessary. Van Jefferson was also strictly a boundary guy. Um, Cooper Cup, these players open up the field for Cooper yes. Cup not to have to go to the boundary. And remember, like there were times last year over the last month of the season where the Rams had to bench him because yeah. he's just not a good one-on-one player on the outside. So if he stays glued in the slot, that's how he reaches his ceiling. So it makes a lot of sense as well as their build. That's, that's, that's a great point too. I mean, you, you see the way they're architecting it. The, the players yes. they've brought in, the arm they brought in, like that offense should be berserk. Like it, unless McVay is not the real deal or Stafford's not the real deal. And, I think both are the real deals. Like, I don't see how this fails. Also, we're not going to talk about tight end tiers today. And again, they'll be finalized on the slot by Friday. But I think everyone's incorrectly assessing Tyler Higby because of this as well. Everyone's noting his high rate of run blocking snaps last year. But again, it's a it's a different offense. They had to protect Jared yeah. Goff. They can do much more in this structure with Matthew Stafford. And so I ignore that and believe he's not he's not going to be Gronk, of course, from two years ago, those last five games. But he's going to be running more routes this year, just naturally being in a better offense with a better quarterback. And that's why I also have him jammed in that uh, Hawkins and Goddard tier we talked about. And I can see that totally. I, I like that. And they're going to be in the red zone. I predictably a lot oh, yeah. more in my mind. Who's the biggest body on that team? And not to keep talking about the Rams, but they yeah. actually have the, Cam Akers has the easiest projected rushing schedule this year. So put it all together. It's an offense that's going to move the ball a ton and be in the red zone a ton. So I just want pieces of it. In a division that you know, against the Cardinals, against the Seahawks, if they let and Russ 49ers. Miles. Yeah, exactly. Like all, th- those could all be point factory blow up games for for everybody involved. So I love it all, um, absolutely. So beyond these these big first couple tiers, I mean, again, eighteen wide receivers in your first tiers. If you're looking later in your drafts now, who are some players that you're targeting to to round out your receiving core? So they're all good. That's the issue. Um, yeah. I've been overweight on Robbie Anderson in the middle. Me too. Who is incorrectly being assessed as just like an intermediate guy. Uh, there, People are questioning his touchdowns. But again, touchdowns are the least predictable stat in all of fantasy football. Don't care about that. It's the fact that he was still the possession receiver uh, and a career high in receiving yards in his first year under Joe Brady. And at the very least, he's familiar with Sam Darnold. I don't know if that's a good thing, but he's worked with yeah. Sam Darnold before and he was a downfield threat with Darnold. So that's all I need to know. He's not the yep. wide receiver 32 as he's properly going as he's going as right now. I jump that every time. Um, yes. Debo Samuel could legitimately outscore Brandon Ayuk. Uh, Debo Samuel will, for every single year of his career, honestly, be top two, top three in carries from the wide receiver position for as long as he's healthy for. He tried to do that last year, except he was never healthy. And so uh, I legitimately think Debo Samuel could be like a top 14, 15 receiver in place of Ayuk if he stays healthy for every single game. Um, Chase Claypool easily could exceed Deontay Johnson, who I still expect to lead the team in targets. But remember, Claypool, as I wrote in the tiers, from week 12 on, Mike Tomlin even came out and admitted to benching him because he believes in a rookie wall. And then you saw in the playoff game, Chase Claypool had seven catches, I believe, and two touchdowns. And to now be a full-time player who will also be playing in the slot more and hopefully get carries as they showed they will do with him inside the 10-yard line last year, that ceiling uh, range could easily exceed Deontay, like I said earlier. So those are those are a few players I always pick off in the middle as well. If you want to go later rounds really quickly, sure. Nelson Aguilar, Michael Gallup, uh, 
I was going Gabe Davis, but it seems like I need to be higher on Emmanuel Sanders because at OTAs right now, which is always important to follow the news again, yeah. Emmanuel Sanders is actually being used as the number two receiver next to Svon Diggs, and they have everyone healthy there. So I'm pretty sure that's the first bit of it for like huge information we received that that's we should be high. higher on Emmanuel Sanders. And then no information on this yet, but I truly think it's a toss-up between Nicole Hardman and Byron Pringle. Um, I have both but I've been drafting a lot of Byron Pringle to take over for Sammy Watkins because in the postseason, Byron Pringle actually ran more routes than Nicole Hardman. They treated him as their number two, three receiver. I love it. I love all those picks. I, you're like rolling down the list of my highest owned guys. So this is just like a, a joy to hear right now in terms of Debo, in terms of Anderson and a bunch of those late round guys. I, I'm full, There's not a single one that I'm like, no, I want to debate him on this. Like I, I, I check Mark. Uh, if you like my opinion, I'm, I'm with you 100% on, on all those names you're bringing up. So I love it. As we talked about, we're going to jump uh, tight ends because if you want to see John's tight ends, make sure you check out NBC Sports Edge this Friday. Those will be dropping. You have plenty of reading material. I've already gotten through uh, the running backs, quarterbacks, and I've been skimming the wide receivers beforehand to get on here, but I'm going to dig in even deeper once we get off of here. But I cannot wait to read your tight ends. Do you have like a single tight end prediction or like – do you have a guy that like this is the best pick at tight end before we move on though? I think single tight end. Oh, we have a kid yelling. Hey, one second. I'll, be, <laughs> I'll talk to you in a second. Um, friend's kid just walked in. Uh, Hello. I a single tight end prediction. I'm not on late round guys. I think for three man rosters, three man leagues and best ball, you should be drafting Kelsey and Waller. And getting that advantage wow. every single week. They have different bye weeks, so it's okay. And then you just you clear the room out. You you literally yeah. won the onesie position every single week. So that's how I've been treating it. And then also, I've only been doing two tight end builds. It's historically not been the right way to approach to get the next tier after those guys. But honestly, uh, those guys, Dallas Goddard, Higby, Logan Thomas, and Hawkinson are going to be on the field every single snap. Goddard is not being dr- drafted properly right now because everyone's assuming Zach Ertz is still there. We know Zach Ertz is getting traded or released. So it's a good time to take advantage of Dallas Goddard. And so I've been getting two of those guys, if not behind Kelsey or Waller or Pitts, and just going with two tight end builds. And that's pretty much where I'm sticking at. I'm not going to the late rounds. We've done that before. Um, you know, you can make the case for Furtzer, Adam Troutman, Gerald Everett. But again, we've done this and it just hasn't mattered in the past. So I'm staying at the top. Love it all, my man. Well, thank you so much. That is our ultimate best ball preview with John Daigle. And as we like to do at the end, if you're willing to give me, I know you got the uh, the kid over there. You no, it's fine. And by the way, I haven't looked at the no huddle. I'm excited to do this. I haven't looked oh, at how he yeah. wrote. So I'm, it's literally going to be literally off the top of my head. Awesome. So rapid fire answers, 20 burning questions here. And John has no idea what's coming. So I love it. Let's Let's get him going here. And we start with a, a pretty easy one there. In order, the first three picks in every 2021 draft should be Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara. Travis Kelsey should go no later than pick number five. Love it. The next Mahomes, Lamar, or Josh Allen from these last few years, that next big blow up quarterback is going to be. As in reality performance or fantasy? Fantasy. Um, fantasy, Jalen Hurts, reality, Trey Lance. The veteran who gained the most value this offseason. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Veteran who lost the most value this offseason. Oh, veteran who lost the most value. 
I'm trying to think of veterans who moved this offseason. Uh, come back or we'll answer in a bit. Yeah, James Robinson's been the most popular answer. Oh, so oh Beth, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, he's he's a sophomore undrafted guy. Well, you've got really a veteran, veteran, though. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like um, a, <laughs> exactly. You know what? Maybe Kenny Galladay. Playing, yeah. but it's it, that's subjective because it depends on what you think of the Giants' offense. But uh, I don't think they're going to be good. So, gotcha. The rookie one hundred and one should be Trevor Lawrence. The biggest rookie flop will be biggest rookie flop will be uh, okay. Hot take in a non-tight end premium. Well, no, I don't want to say that because year one I think it could be Kyle Pitts. But like, if you tell me I could have Kyle Pitts in Dynasty for the next ten years as well. Um, I would obviously take that. The biggest flop will be, uh, let's say no, because Devontae Smith may get a new quarterback. Um, biggest rookie flop will be Trey Sermon. Who's the current NFL player that you hate the most? <laughs> <laughs> Who do I hate watching? Tom Brady. <laughs> oh man, he's, he's just too good. Like you get sick of it. Like I respect it, but you can hate it and respect it. That's true. You're talking to a long time New Englander over here. So. It's the, I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing over and over again. It's the same thing over and over again. I can't take. It's been 20 years, dude. Go away. He's been too damn good. It's for, It's so true. Who's the free agent that's going to crush in their new home? I don't. I don't know about crush, but I will say my one of my highest exposure wide receivers is in fact Nelson Aguilar. Like it. Early rounder, first or second that busts the hardest this year. First or second? Let's go Derrick Henry. Ooh. The mid-rounder that ascends to 2022 early rounds. The mid-rounder. Um, I'm looking very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Take You can pull up your ADP. That's all good. Your rankings. Cam, Cam, Cam Akers, it doesn't count. He's still going pretty early. Yeah, he's second rounder. Let's go – Oh. Does Odell Beckham count? I think he's going like sure. in the sixth round. Okay, oh, yeah, he's like sixth, seventh. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I'm going Odell Beckham. Like it. Who is like, by the way, still like a reality-wise top five receiver in the league, and we've just forgotten. Like we forget yeah. how good he scorches earth when he's healthy. Very true. Late round league winning, whether it's a running back receiver or tight end, who's that late rounder that everyone's going to be like, damn, that's the league winner? Yeah, I'll go Byron Pringle. Love it. Who's the uh, what's the most important training camp story or battle to monitor this Mike, offseason? Mike Davis, if he's actually being taken off the field, or does he have a three-down role? Because it's going to change tiers. Love it. Sophomore running back that you want the most and the least. So least is now we can talk about veteran James Robinson being the least yeah. running back. <laughs> True. And then the most would be Cam Akers for all the all the things we mentioned earlier, having said that, Antonio Gibson also is a very good one. Um, they're just simple regression, just simple math. He'll play on third downs more, or that the team is just better with better quarterback play, thus being more positive game scripts. And we don't need to worry about Gibson playing third downs because they'll have a lead and use him anyways. Yes, yes. I keep forgetting Robinson's a sophomore. I need to preface this one besides James Robinson. He was everybody so, would say it's him. so frustrating because like, it goes against everything that is intelligent about team building. He was so it's good awesome. to get 1,500 yeah. yards from an undrafted free agent running back. Like they hit the jackpot and they just ignored it. It's crazy. Exactly. Uh, do you think does Aaron Rodgers leave Green Bay? I do. I don't think he plays this year. 
So if he does what you think so, who's the first wide receiver owner should draft? The first wide uh, Packers or just in general? Just in general. The first wide receiver anyways is Tyreek Hill, whether Aaron Rodgers plays or not. Um, Devontae Adams is, that's why you're trying to leverage off Devontae Adams just in case. But Tyreek Hill, as I mentioned at the very top of the tiers, what used to be dependent on being explosive on little volume. Over the second half of the season when they were passing more, he was explosive on 10 plus targets a game. That, that makes the best combination for Patrick Mahomes in the entire league. He could have like a, like he's already been so good, but I mean, what if he could he have 2000, he literally could have 2000 receiving yards if they keep that passing volume. Wow. that I, That's something that everybody needs to consider. That's, that's crazy. Uh, player you'd least like to fight. Oh, it's probably an offensive lineman. Um, <laughs> who's the biggest guy? Uh, Makai Becton. Let's say that he runs four five at like three sixty. No, thanks. <laughs> To throw some serious hands, that's yeah. for sure. Who's the most intriguing coaching hire of 2021? Uh, Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley, because he is, people don't know this, he's actually a converted, he was a college quarterback, but a defensive mastermind last year with the Rams because he understands offenses. So the fact he will have his fingerprints on the offense along with Joe Lombardi, it makes for, I can't say like, it's a hot take to say AFC championship, even AFC championship winners and representatives in the Super Bowl, because AFC, as we know, is a juggernaut. You have to be elite to get past Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Patrick Mahomes. But the Chargers is a top four team in the AFC is not a hot take. Yeah, I love it. I won't leave 2021 fantasy drafts without taking. Let's just go Clyde edwards Lair because it is my is my highest roster player. I love it. Last one here. Boldest 2021 fantasy football prediction. Fantasy football prediction. Ezekiel Elliott, who is, well, that's not too bold. Uh, Let's go with, this is where it helps. Let's hear it. Let's hear it at least. Now you got me excited. What's your your Zeke prediction? If you want to add another, that's totally fine. I I, I was going to say Ezekiel Elliott finished as, well, I was going to say top two running back. I guess that's not too bold though. That's the thing. Um, Even though everyone's treating him like a low-end RB1. So, Reality-wise, not fantasy. I'll say fantasy in a second. Reality-wise, my hot take is Nick Chubb will win MVP. Um, Everyone says Baker Mayfield, so I think the Browns will be the highest – have the highest regular season win total. Doesn't mean they'll go to the Super Bowl, but I think they're going to be absolutely dominant given their schedule in the regular season. And a run-heavy offense does not lend itself to Baker Mayfield winning MVP. Everyone And everyone says that, oh, Derrick Henry led the league in rushing, and he didn't even come close, even though he was like top four. But that is not properly apples to apples because the Titans were playing for their life. They had to win and end in week 17. So yeah. I'm telling, saying if the Browns win 14 wins in, in a 17-game season, then and they have to choose an MVP from this team because they're the best, it would not be Baker Mayfield. I think everything lines up to be Nick Chubb. That so let's just say fantasy football season then too. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean that he would have a monster fantasy season. Um, let's just say uh, da, 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 Michael Gallup outscores every other Cowboys receiver. How about that? That is pretty bold. Wow. I love it. Uh, and then to wrap up, I always like to look at the industry just real quick. Who do you consider your role model in the industry? It is Evan Silva, both for the opportunities he gave me and also just being my friend. And as I'm sure everyone who's listening knows, my past roommate. Um, and then and then honestly, just, yeah, he's my mentor. But what's funny about him being my mentor is that I do the same things, clearly not at the same level that he does, just because I came up in that grind culture element that he has. But then also, because it is competitive spirits 
and I was trained like him, that makes me want to be the best, and thus I want to crush him. It's a very weird thing we have going on, but uh, that is that is my role model and very good friend. I absolutely love it. He is an absolute stud. What do you think about underrated fantasy sleeper analysts that people might not know listening here that they should follow? There are a few breakouts right now, but someone who needs more followers is probably Jack Miller, who is doing work at both NBC Sports Edge and Establish the Run right now. And um, he does intelligent macro work. He's found his niche. He's very good at it. He did not create the RB Dead Zone name that everyone's seeing on podcast titles now, but (laughs) he is highlighting and emphasizing how to approach it. And that's so important. So he's, he's a very intelligent person. Absolutely. I love Jack's stuff. And last but not least, by any means, reminder of where to find you and your work. At not Jay Daigle on Twitter because I did not get John Daigle in time. <laughs> and I have regretted it for nine years running now, uh, even offering money and no one will no one will take the money. But I will eventually try to get that tag. tag. Uh, NBC Sports Edge as well. And then a good football show podcast. I also do a weekly best ball stream Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern with a guest who's been on here a ton of times, Ian Harditz, of course. Oh, yeah. One of my also very good friends in life and love working with him. And this week, though, in particular, it's actually at 9 p.m. Eastern because I got yelled at by a bunch of East Coast dads who used to put their kids to bed and watch us. <laughs> so I bumped it to 9 or 10 p.m. Eastern. I bumped it to 9 p.m. Central just for this week. And I also called up Evan Silva and Rich Rebar, and they're going to jump on too. It's a very big show. Wow. So tune Love in then, 10 p.m. Eastern this Friday. Join us. Best ball. I might have to sneak in. Is it underdog? Where are you? At? I might have to jump into that draft. It's, the league is still open. It's a mid stakes one. It's actually the FFPC. Oh, the okay. It's FFPC major tournament. It's $125. Um, the point is, though, that we're all going to draft the same team. It's going to be four people talking about one team, and there are going to be a lot of arguments. But the hope, the hope is that the discourse between us will also lead people to know the construction and people they don't want to take. So. Awesome. I cannot wait to tune into that. Everybody else, make sure you are there on Friday. You said 9 p.m. Central? Ten, yeah, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern, just this Friday. Every other week, it's going to be at 6 p.m. Eastern. Awesome. I love it, John. Well, thank you. Well, I got to ask, too, before you head out, what did you win uh, an Emmy for in FSWA? I saw it in your ta- your your bio line there. What, what did you win that for? So FSWA was a uh, co-host with uh, Josh Norris, or co-guest, whatever the case, when, yeah. the, when the formerly Roto World Football Podcast won for Best Football Podcast of oh, the that's year. that's awesome. Yep, and that was just two years ago, so we're only two years removed from that. And then um, Emmy, actually, it was my day job previously, like four years ago. I used to work production for another company behind the scenes and would be their traveling road guy. Like, for instance, I, I went to I've been to two World Cups living like in Paris and Russia, um, doing oh, doing highlights cool. on the road for two, three months at a time. And um, our crew happened to win an Emmy. So it's I just gave it to my parents. You know, they're That's they're awesome. the, they're the ones who helped me get that opportunity anyhow. So. That's amazing, man. Well, again, thank you so much, John. This was an absolute blast talking to you for the first time and hopefully uh, the first of many. Not the last. It was great firing it up with you. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week. I'm looking forward to that best ball show. Uh, And cheers. Thanks again for coming on with me, my man. Um, And Wolfpack. If you have your questions, get them on in now. Uh, I saw that there's a bunch here, so I would love to make sure to answer those uh, for you. But thanks again, John Daigle, uh, for turning tuning in with us. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate it. So, uh, Muhammad, say, where is everyone? Well, we've all started to show up here. What up, Wolf? Good to see you, Jeremiah. Uh, Wolfpack is in the house. Good. A lot, a lot of people just shouting out the Wolfpack. I love to see it. Thoughts on uh, Gabriel Davis. And Jacoby Myers says Lamont here. 
Uh, I like both of them. Um, I would say I prefer Gabriel Davis until I know. Let's say Mac Jones takes over that job in training camp and we know he's the starter. I could see Jacoby Myers being one of the best picks in the entire league this year. Um, The way he dominated, we've seen him get it done with the volume. So I like that a lot. But Gabriel Davis, as of right now, is my target in best ball, as we were talking about this entire show. John did bring up that great point, though, that Manuel Sanders is running as the clear number two in training camp, or not training camp, in OTAs and whatnot right now. Uh, So, oh, that's tricky. I think gun to my head, I'm going to go Jacoby Myers, given the chance that he could be the number one, you know, whether that's Aguilar, uh, who maybe is a tight end, it's congested. Oh, Gabriel, Gabriel Davis gets it done. This is a tough one, Lamont. You got me, uh, you got me in a blender here. Good question. Uh, I have Davis higher, higher upside guy, and I get Sanders might be running ahead of him, but as a sophomore, we could really see him take his game to the next level. I'm going to go Gabriel Davis there. A lot of good cases. AJ Brown, indeed, Anthony Fella. Great to see you, my man. Uh, love, love that you're back here tuning in. Your testimony was awesome, by the way. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, do you think the Dolphins are going to use Lynn Bowden a lot? Lamont, I don't see it. I don't see it this year. Um, the way they added, I mean, you got Will Fuller added, you got Jalen Waddell, and then Devontae Parker. Like, where does he fit in there? I mean, the only reason we were seeing much of him at all was because of all the injuries around him. It, down to Preston Williams and Jakeem Grant getting hurt. It's the only reason he was in there. So now that you have an even more stacked up chart, uh, he might be the sixth, seventh option there. I, I don't see it happening. I'm not. I'm not looking for Lim Bowden at all this year. Does Mims have a chance to be New York's number one weapon? Lamont, you're bringing some great questions today. I like it. Yeah, I hope you tune into uh, more and more of these, my man. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's going to be either Davis or Elijah Moore or Crowder uh, before it would be Mims. <laughs> Just came out the entire depth chart, right? My prediction is going to be Elijah Moore. The way that all the reports are, he's dominating. The fact that he's going out to bromantic dinners with fucking uh, you know, Zach Wilson. Like, that stuff matters. I know it seems stupid, but you build that chemistry. It's the guy you came in with, right? Like, you want to make each other succeed and be the best. They've already tweeted, we want each other to be the best ever. We're going to do it, like, for each other. I- I'm going Elijah Moore in that, that Jets offense. Uh, he's the guy that this – regime really targeted went out and got similar to Corey Davis as well. He could end up being the alpha Mims is a stay over and, and yeah, he's okay. Uh, it's more, or it's, it's Davis for me. It's more personally. Tennessee makes it to the AFC championship says Jose Vega. Good to see you by the way, Mr. Jose. I like that prediction with Julio Jones. My worry is how efficient does this offense stay without Arthur Smith? I think that guy is a genius. I think he did a lot of great things for that offense. That all being said, when you add Julio Jones, it doesn't really matter who's calling plays. When you have A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, and Derrick Henry, if they stay healthy, that trio stays healthy, and Tannehill remains being as efficient, a quarter of the efficiency he's shown, like he'll maintain that efficiency because of the weapons around him. So, yeah, I, I don't hate this prediction at all. You're thinking, you know, who would be in their way, right? Obviously the Chiefs, the Bills, your, your AFC Championship of last year, so they'd have to knock off one of those two teams. I think, obviously, the Bills are more knockoffable great word there, uh, than the, uh, than the, the chiefs are y'all is hold the, you know, the Ravens. I could see really rebounding big this year too, though. So I don't see it happening, Jose. 
given even with all the weaponry around it, I just don't see Tannehill beating either Allen or or Mahomes or even Lamar Jackson. But yeah, I I um I can I can see. It. I wouldn't be shocked. No one would be shocked. What's going on, DiLorenzo? Great to see you, brother. Uh, the white chocolate. What's up, Antonio Gibson? League winner. I mean, my man, he totally totally could be. Uh, the reason being, so so one, I am a little bit sketchy about the toe. Like it's still lingering. And toe injuries, especially for running back, it, never good it, for any position. But toe is one of those things you never like to see. So I do not like that. But let's say it's healthy. Let's say he's healed up and ready to go. Well, one, he's already being used more creatively in OTAs at wide receiver. They say he understands the offense more. His route tree is expanding, like all that good stuff. Bigger role in the, the receiving game for a guy that's a converted wide receiver. Like I, why he hasn't been a converted, why, why we're using J.D. McKissick, I don't know. It must have been that he did not understand where he was supposed to be. But now that he does, you know, what if he becomes Ron Rivera's next CMC? Yes, he would be a league winner in that sense. Never mind the fact that even if he doesn't, let's say he maintains his role of last year. He averaged over 20 fantasy points per game in the games that they won, in games that they were favored, aka in positive game scripts, as compared to 14 in negative game scripts. Literally a touchdown difference per game. And that makes sense. You can't tell me that this offense is not going to be bound for more leads with Ryan Fitzmagic leading the charge than Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, that garbage. So yeah, yeah, I absolutely think Antonio Gibson, if healthy, even in the same role as last year, has the potential to be a league winner. Never mind if he gets the receiving work and their lead, like could blow up. But I do want to see that foot. I need to know that he is like ready to go in training camp before I take him over. Like, you know, a not AJ Brown anymore. Like, I think who's going in that range, right? Like, give me some players you'd want me to consider over him. Um, uh, that's tricky. That's a, that's a hard one, man. That's a very hard one. Uh, in that late second round range, I, I found myself going him every single time until the toe thing popped up, and maybe I shouldn't let that impact it till I really know it. Brandon Ayuk undervalued. Well, I mean, there was a stretch last year where he was the wide receiver three in fantasy. It was like from week six to week 15. He blew up. That also required ridiculous volume. I think he was also like fifth in the league in targets over that span. He did a lot with them. He's very efficient, great talent. Love Ayuk. But in a run-heavier offense, if and when Trey Lance takes over, with Debo Samuel healthy, I mean, the, the splits when Debo's healthy, the, the few games they played together, Debo out-targeted him. So I do love him. I'm, I'm plus 10 ECR on him overall. So like, yes, he is undervalued. I think so. But I can see why people aren't into him because I don't think the volume might be there as much as we would like. Uh, if that makes sense, white chocolate. Workhorse running backs disappearing. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Like there was a couple seasons ago, if you remember like 2016, where it was Zeke Elliott, it was David Johnson. There was not a single other workhorse. So we've had like a little bit of a rebirth where we at least have like 12 to even maybe 15 guys where you're like, yeah, these guys could be workhorses. And then it drops off and it's hideous. So I think workhorses compared to where they were like four years ago, five years ago, have actually rebirthed and there's more options here. But yeah, as a whole, you know, there's only this year, there's probably only going to end up being like 10 of those guys when all is said and done. There's probably 15, 16 I see could be those guys this year. When all is said and done, I bet 10. That's what typically what's been these last few years, like 10 really like difference-making guys. And that just becomes like a big pack of like 
0.5 difference between RB11 and like RB25, you know? So, but no, I don't think they're disappearing. I think there's actually more entering the ecosystem than we've had in a long time. Are clear workhorse handcuffs like Tony Pollard more valuable than semi-fantasy productive running backs in a split backfield? That's a good question. Cause yeah, I mean, you're looking at this, right? Like, am I ever going to put in this, you know, two B, maybe even RB three of a committee. That's the, the third wheel. No, nah, probably not. Right. Whereas if Zeke goes down, we saw what Tony Pollard did last year. <laughs> he was the, one of the highest, most owned running backs on championship rosters because he was a waiver wire guy that got a start and put up what, like 30 something points. So, yes, because a fringe committee guy, what's he bringing to your team? I, I will only draft a fringe committee guy if I do think there's a chance that he eventually ascends to the top role and is seeing 60 to 70% of the work, which is a big ass. It's a workhorse. So there's not many of those guys. A Trey Sermon's one of them, a guy that I could see by midseason taking over that backfield. Like I'd rather have Trey Sermon than Tony Pollard, but there's very few committee guys. Travis Etienne, these exciting rookies like – are different. But other than that, if you get into that like round 10 range, why are you drafting the mediocre RB three in a committee? No, go for the handcuff. Go for the guy that has no value until he has all the value. Is how I look at that. Great questions. I appreciate you tuning in white chocolate. I think this is the first time I recognize your name here. So hope you tune in again and Wolfpack. Thank you so much. That's the last question we got, but I'm going to wrap up every show from here on out with an ask me anything type of thing. I miss interacting with you guys. I love that. That's probably my favorite part of this is seeing you guys come every time and answering your questions. So if you like that part of it, come for the featured guest. As you've seen, they've been great. Uh, Pat Sullivan, I got a regular here. I'll make sure to get there. But to finish my spiel, you know, our guests are great. We have some awesome ones lined up. We have Mike Clay from ESPN, Danny Kelly from The Ringer. This month coming up in the next two weeks, I have my Dynasty Rankings dropping this weekend. I'm going to do a live show where I set all my dynasty rankings for the first time ever. We have our first startup draft ever at RSJ for a dynasty league on Monday. So we got some great stuff coming. If you have not subbed already, uh, wherever you're at, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, wherever you a follow means the world subscriptions, the bell, of course, to get the notifications. Of course, thumbs up, such an easy way to support us and help us get out to more people. We really, really appreciate any and all of the free support you can give us. We do all this for free and we love you guys, and that's why we do it. So please share the love if you like what we're doing. Uh, without Julio Jones, do you think any of the Atlanta offensive will be early round draft picks? I think Pat, we talked about this a little bit earlier with uh with John. Awesome guest. If you missed the show, make sure you catch the replay. This guy, John's a stud. That was an awesome show. Thanks again, John. Um, what a great, great time. Uh, but Without Julio Jones there, Calvin Ridley is the early and obvious answer in terms of early round draft picks. I mean, the guy, his pace, 16-game pace. So let's start at the top. The last two years, without Julio Jones, Ridley has seen nine-plus targets every single game. His 16-game pace when he sees nine or more targets for over his career, 110 receptions, 1,633 yards, 11 touchdowns. That's 21.41 fantasy points per game, 343 total fantasy points. Only Devontae Adams would have scored more last year. Insane. So, yes, early round, Calvin Root. Mid-round, Kyle Pitts' ceiling. I get rookie tight ends. They don't hit, all that stuff. We talked about it earlier. This guy's a different mold. I mean, he could totally light up the league. 
where he's at. So I, I think you go Calvin Ridley, you go Mike Davis round four or five potential workhorse and an offense that I still think even without Julio could be top 10 in the league. That's how good Arthur Smith is in my opinion, giving this guy the Derrick Henry. Oh, love it. Uh, so yeah, I, I like that a lot. Uh, I go Calvin Ridley, then Mike Davis and Kyle Pitts, like right in that, that round four or five range. And then I don't really have much interest in Matt Ryan anymore without all his weapons. Um, that's how I look at them, Pat. Alrighty, Wolfpack. Well, thank you guys again so much. If you haven't liked and subbed it, I already gave that spill, so I won't do it again. But all our content is at rotostreetjournal.com. We breed and feed fantasy wolves, fantasy fullback dive podcast. If you prefer audio, uh, we have all our podcasts available a couple days late. FFBDpod.com. You can find all the show notes for every single episode with highlight clips, with articles that are related to what we talked about, with links to the guests that we have. So, guys, Please continue to support the show. It means the world. It's so appreciated that you're here tuning in, whether you caught the live show, whether you caught the replay. So happy to have you. We appreciate it. We're going to keep cheering this out. I'm on summer break in a week, and you know what happens when the Wolf gets on summer break. It is full go fantasy. So if you've liked what we've already done this offseason, please make sure you tune in for the rest. Cheers, Wolf Pack. In a world full of fantasy sheep, be the wolf. Later, guys. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.